This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question is, do you feel good enough? My first guest is Nadia Debazorgi. Nadia grew up in Islamic Iran and moved to Australia to study. She's been trained in Christian ministry and works with St. Jude's Anglican Church in Carlton and works at Ridley College. And she joins me now. Please welcome Nadia Debazorgi. The second guest is Alan Lucas. Alan grew up in Sydney and Melbourne. He did an accounting degree before studying education and then worked as a primary school teacher. This is our training in Christian ministry with students at Monash University. Please welcome Alan Lucas. Now to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today's quiz is about famous people who are not good enough. Two questions, both multiple choice. Okay, so first question. Which author was advised by the publisher who reluctantly published their work that they wouldn't be good enough for a literary career and that the writer should get a day job since they have little chance of making money in books? Was it A, Donald Trump, the author of The Art of the Deal? Was it B, J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings? Was it C, J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books? Or was it D, Kim Kardashian, author of Selfish? So which author? It's a series of selfies, apparently. Um, you can buy it online. Um, so which of these authors? One of these is true. Which author was not deemed good enough for a literary career? Uh, I reckon A. You reckon A? So Donald Trump. Okay, Alan, what I'd, do you... I'd definitely say A as well, yeah. Okay. Maybe you want to try a different one. Okay. Just, just, uh, <laughs> just, just. Uh, there's a couple of people helping you in the audience. Maybe what? Ah, oh, maybe C. Maybe. And C's correct. Yeah, big round of applause. Yeah. Her first book, J.K. Rowling, first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, was rejected 12 times before wow. being published. And the Harry Potter series has now gone on to have combined sales of over 450 million. I don't think that she needs a day job now. Okay, question two. Vincent van Gogh is one of the most famous and influential artists of all time, yet he died thinking his art was a failure and generally not good enough. So how many paintings did van Gogh apparently sell in his lifetime? It's multiple choice. Was it A, none, his work really wasn't good enough and sold nothing? Was it B, one, one poor person took pity on him and helped buy a painting? Or was it C, 12. He had a sympathetic family who helped him out despite not thinking him good enough. Or was it D, 585. He sold lots of paintings but viewed himself as a failure because he had impossibly high standards and a warped sense of what constituted failure. So how many paintings did Vincent van Gogh apparently sell in his lifetime? This time I would go with B. B. A didn't work so I would go with B. B? What, what do you think, Alan? Uh, yeah. Let's go D. I haven't tried that one yet. Okay, well... You might want to go with what Nadia went B. with. B, yes! <laughs> Fantastic it was. It was one painting, uh, the Red Vineyard, bought by Anna Bock for 400 francs. Now, it's difficult to work out how much that would be worth now, but Van Gogh paintings generally go for between 60 and $140 million. <laughs> All from an artist who thought his art was a failure 
and not good enough. So Nadia and Alan, in our famous people who are not good enough quiz, you, well Nadia passed, and you nearly passed Alan, big round of not applause. <laughs> Now, Nadia, your feelings of not being good enough, though, weren't because your books or your art was rejected, was it? Uh, they were more fundamental to who you were and revolved around growing up with Islam in Iran. So, Nadia, maybe you grew up in Iran where you started learning and practicing Islam as a seven-year-old. Can you tell us what happened? Tell us a bit about your background. Uh, yeah, I was born into a Muslim family, Muslim country, so I was a dedicated Muslim by the time that I... I was born, and uh, at age nine, girls must learn and practice Islamic rules and practices, but my dad started to teach me while I was seven. And I can say that when I turned seven, my childhood finished, and I uh, couldn't, I could no longer behave like a carefree little girl, and I had to cover, and I had to pray. And uh, since that time, I felt pressure of Islam in my life, in every aspect of my life. So what sort of pressures did you feel? Yeah, as a seven-year-old, I, I really like to just, you know, to wear colorful dress like other kids, but I had to just cover, I had to wear hijab, and yeah, I didn't like it. It, 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 a, it was the first impression of Islam in my life, and it wasn't really good experience. Mm. Uh, it was in, fa in my family and at the school uh, there was the same situation. I had to pray and teacher told me if I don't pray uh, Allah would send me to the hell. So I first learned about Allah with fear, with uh, going to hell. So it was a really, really bad uh, mm. start. So how did that make you feel? Like growing up you wanted to be a child but you now had to behave like an adult. How did that make you feel? Yeah, I can say I didn't have any freedom at all. Yeah, as I, uh, as I was growing up, all these limitations, they grow bigger and bigger with me. And, uh, so what sort of limitations were they? I, I had to just, yeah, um, Islam is all about many limitations, many religious rules. And I had to just follow without any discussion, without any question. I had to just follow. And I can say that that time I felt that I was totally brainwashed. I couldn't just stop and think about what I was doing. I, I, just, I just had to follow, and mm -hmm. I did. Mm. And so you did follow Islam? You'd, you'd be considered a, a faithful Muslim? Yeah, even, even I wasn't nominal Muslim. I was a very faithful Muslim. So what does that mean? What does a faithful Muslim do? Uh, most of people, uh, I'm talking about people from my country because yeah, I, I grew up in Iran. Most of people, they are nominal Muslim, like more than 80, 90 pe percent mm -hmm. of people. So they never practice, they never uh, pray, they never read Quran, but I did. Mm -hmm. I did all these practices to just to please Allah, to just receive peace in my life. What happened then <laughs> when you read the Quran? The more I read Quran, the more I fear Allah. And I felt that he was like in remote, he was in distance. I didn't, uh, I didn't get anything back from him. It was like a praying in front of a wall. And uh, I tried really hard, really hard to just, you know, to please him. But there was no peace, no hope, no guarantee. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel that you weren't good enough? Actually, I did uh, all the good things according to Islamic practices, but... Still, I felt that, yeah, I wasn't 
even good at all because there was no guarantee that all the things that I have done they were accepted by Allah or not that's why I can say that time I felt that yeah I wasn't good and if I died I would definitely go to the hell <laughs> right right so even though you were a practicing Muslim you still had no guarantee yes that there is you no were guarantee going no to be hope. with him or in the future or in paradise but you lost your faith in Islam how did that happen? What happened? As I said, when I was a kid, I started practicing and it was by force, by force from my family at school. And then because when I grew up older and I felt that, yeah, maybe they are right. Maybe it's the only way. Maybe it's a, Islam is a true way. So I decided to follow, to just to keep following Islam. And I did. But eventually, because as I said, I didn't receive anything back that's why slowly, slowly, I lost my faith in Islam. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, I can say my whole life was full of fear. Fear of Allah, fear of judgment, and fear of punishment. And it, if you re read, but I don't recommend you to read. If you read <laughs> Quran, it's all about punishment. It's all about judgment. And it's all about what you do to please Allah. But at the end, there is no hope, no guarantee. So uh, slowly, uh, slowly, I uh, lost my faith in Islam. And eventually, I reached a point that I can tell you it was my turning point. It was around 2007. I completely left Islam. And what happened? For the first time in my whole life, I decided to talk to God because I didn't, I didn't become an atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, still, that time, uh, I believed that the real God existed. But I didn't know him mm -hmm. at all. But uh, for the first time in my life, I started talking to him with my own language, with my own mother tongue. I, I talked to him and uh, I complained a lot uh, <laughs> because of all the suffering that I had in my life. And uh, I asked him sincerely, if, if you exist, and I know that you, you exist, if you exist, just show me yourself because I don't know what to do now. Mm -hmm. So what happened then? Your dad then bought a satellite TV. My well, dad eventually, uh, he decided to buy a satellite for us. And uh, I can tell you, some of the channels, they are filtered by government, and the rest of the channels, they are locked by my dad. So I didn't have many, <laughs> many, <laughs> many options. But I can tell you, it was just maybe miraculously some uh, Christian channel, like Sat, uh, Sat Part 7, and also Muhabbat News. These two channels, that time they were not filtered. So through those channels, for the first time, I've heard about Jesus and I've heard about Christianity. And I was really impressed because unlike Islam, it was all about peace, forgiveness, and joy, and hope. All those things that I've been, yeah, they, they have been missing in my whole life. Mm. So with Islam, you felt fear. You felt that you weren't good enough. What was different with Jesus? First impression from Jesus was he talks about forgiveness. He says, if you follow me, you are saved, you are forgiven, and you have eternal life. And Jesus talks about love. And it was very like a new word in my dictionary. Love doesn't really have any meaning in Islam. And that's why I became really interested in Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know much about him, but I became interested in him, and I wanted to know more about him. Mm -hmm. And uh, that time, because of all this limitation and filtering, even 
that time I didn't have the whole Bible. I just had some small e-books from the uh, filtered internet. And uh, I just tried to get some uh, more information about him. And through those uh, small e-books, I can tell you I fell in love with Jesus. Mm -hmm. What was it about Jesus that made you fall in love with him? Uh, he talks about all the promises, which is very clear. So we have this hope that Jesus promised us if we follow him, we have peace. Not only, it's not only about after, after life, it's, it's about this moment. I have peace in my heart because of him. Hmm. And you felt that peace? Yes, I experienced that since the, that time I've heard about Jesus and I read about him and I decided to follow him. I experienced that peace. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Nadia. We'll come back to you in a second. But now we move on to you, Alan. Now, your yep. story's a little different. Yep. Uh, you didn't grow up in Iran. No, not quite. No, you grew up in, <laughs> you grew up in Sydney. Well, it's That's, New South Wales. So New South, a little country town. No, yeah. New South Wales. It's, yep. yeah. You went, grew up in a Christian family where you went yep. to church every Sunday. So how, yeah, yeah. how was that? Um, yeah, so my childhood was actually pretty good. Um, I had a happy childhood. I felt quite safe. I grew up understanding what uh, most Christians believe, that Christ died um, for us and that if we trust him, yeah, we can be forgiven by him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I kind of grew up understanding that and knowing it. So that was your childhood. But then yeah. you moved to Melbourne and after a couple of years started high school. Yeah. Uh, then did you become a rebellious teen? Well, kind of the opposite, really. I, I became quite um, sort of almost self-righteous to the point like I, I knew how to live because I'd been a Christian my whole life. So I started trusting in kind of my own sort of sense of morality and this is, you know, I knew how to live. So right. that's what I sort of stuck with. What do you yeah. mean by self-righteousness? Was this that you had a, a sense that you were, you were right and everybody else was wrong? Yeah, yeah, the sense that I kind of knew morality. Um, I understood it. I, I suppose people around me didn't get it quite as much. Um, yeah, that I was kind of the one that knew how to live Okay. Now, could you live up to your own standards? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I failed multiple times. So tell us uh, what happened there. What were you doing? How did you fail? Yeah, so some of the ways that I failed was, like, in high school particularly, pornography was a hard one. Um, and also, I suppose we talked about self-righteousness as well, which I didn't quite pick up on until a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, that sort of sense that, like, you, you fail and then you sort of fail again and you sort of feel this guilt... Um, that, you know, you get the same thing again and again and just struggling with. And did you ever have the sense that you felt that you weren't good enough? Yeah, yeah, quite constantly. I think because I held myself to these quite high standards and I never quite lived up to them. I kept failing and falling short of those standards. Mm. And so you felt guilty? Absolutely. Perhaps yeah. like a hypocrite even? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, all the time, yeah. I right. wouldn't say it out loud, but yeah, definitely. Right. So how did that make yeah. you feel though? Like you had this internal turmoil almost? Yeah, yeah. There's sort of sense that I suppose um, when I, you know, I was meeting my standards, I'd sort of feed my own pride in a sense. Um, but when I didn't, it, I'd feel very guilty and kind of almost fearful of what, uh, would, what would happen if I died later down the track. Mm. One author once said, rejection has value. Mm. It teaches us when our work or our skill set is not good enough and must be made better. Now, this philosophy drives many authors and artists to improve and to mm. be more persistent, uh, like J.K. Rowling, who was rejected 12 times. Yeah. Why couldn't you just try harder? Yeah, so I, I did try harder. Um, yeah, and again, kind of like what I, I said before, the, my problem was that if I did try harder and I got it right, then I'd become more proud and kind of more almost self-righteous. But when I did fail, again, this sort of greater sense of guilt and this sort of fear 
hopefulness of what is to come. And I never had that sense of really, uh, or I, I sort of started lacking that sense of assurance where what's actually going to happen when I die hmm. and where I stand with God. Yeah. So what changed? Yeah, it was kind of late high school where um, the gospel just kind of clicked for me again in the sense that um, when we trust in Christ, we are forgiven. And from that point on, you are made right before God. And I kind of moved away from that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that point on, you are uh, we, like, I'm right with God. No matter kind of what happens, it's... Yeah. So even though you'd grown up in a Christian family, you'd kind of forgotten or misunderstood what it yeah, was all about. I think I just sort of got sidetracked or moved away from kind of what yeah, the gospel really was. Yeah. And so what did that change then, what that realisation bring for you? Oh, this sort of sense of relief and just joy, um, knowing that I'm, I'm right before God. There's not these sort of standards that I have to attain to to earn um, my forgiveness or to make me right before God. And it's just sort of, yeah, relief and just kind of joy. Joy? Yeah. Yeah? How joy. did that manifest itself? Did you um, sing? Yeah, so... It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm such a great singer. That's why I up here earlier. Uh, no, no, I, joy, I think one of the big things for me was actually um, it, it kind of prompted me to make more of an effort to actually tell people about the joy that I've experienced. I kind of understood God's love more and then felt, well, actually, this is not something that I should be keeping to myself. It's something that other people need to hear about as well. So, Nadia, do you wish that you had the Christian upbringing that Alan had? Sometimes I feel like, yeah, I, I wish I grew up in a Christian family in a sense, but uh, generally I think it might be good that I experienced Islam already, so I, kn- I know how it's like to be a Muslim, and so I know that Islam doesn't work at all. So I, this comparison between Islam and Christianity helped me a lot to understand my faith now. Now today's big question is, do you feel good enough? And the Bible offers an answer in the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians is a a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Alan and Nadia, Paul says that Christ brings freedom. He sets believers free. How do you feel when you read these words? So I suppose I can relate to that quite well in the sense I felt almost trapped by my kind, my own sort of uh, like moralism or self-righteousness and the fact that I'm forgiven and it's Christ that has forgiven me and I'm, he's what, who makes me right with God. I'm free from having to live up to these standards. So you do feel that sense of oh, freedom. Yeah, yeah, how, about, how about you, Nadia? What do you, how do you feel when you react to that? Uh, because... All my life I lived with fear. So this freedom for me is freedom from that fear. And I have peace and joy in my every moment of my life now. Well, many in our world think that rather than bringing freedom, Christianity is enslaving and to be escaped. So Nicole Gaynor, co-founder of the Freedom From Religion Foundation in the US, said, there are no gods, no devils, no angels, no heaven or hell, Religion is but myth and superstition that hardens hearts and enslaves minds. So why didn't you seek freedom from religion altogether? Why did you even need God? Yeah, I I think it wouldn't actually fix the problem that I had going on with myself. Um, But also, if there is no God, Mm -hmm. then I 
became just, I felt that this world just became very trivialized in that it's kind of, you live this life and then you die and then it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's not a sense of, for me, it was this, there's no hope at the end of it. It's just, you live and you die and that's it. Mm. But if you remove God, mm. it would remove your guilt problem, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, in one sense, it, it would remove my guilt in the sense that I could now create my own standards and I can live up to the standards that I feel like I can meet. Um, but I think it would just create a greater sense of fear of, well, what's to come later down the track? Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, another part of the Bible which relates to your experience is from the book of 1 John. It says in verse 16 of chapter 4 that God is love. Now, Nadia, how did you react when you discovered that the very nature or the essence of the God as revealed in the Bible is love? When uh, for the first time I, I read this verse from Bible and, I, uh, and it says God is love, and I said, wow, how could it possible? God and love. It was totally new, new word for me, love and God. And it's, it's really amazing. And it impressed me a lot when I read it for the first time. And uh, I realized that, yeah, it's, it's possible, God mm-hmm. and love. Mm. But does that mean, though, with the Christian understanding of the world that there is no judgment, though? Jesus clearly promised us if we become his follower, there is no judgment. Mm-hmm. So the judgment's still there, but, but, it's, but there's actually a solution to that judgment problem. Yes, That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, the passage talks about the love of God, that God first loved us mm-hmm. in verse 19. So mm-hmm. how has God loved us. Alan? Uh, yeah, so I think um, probably the most obvious way to me is he's loved us in the sense of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. I mean, the, it talks about um, from verse 10 in 1 John 4, uh, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, he's actually shown love by sending his son, creating a way that we, we can be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because, yeah, he is a holy God and um, we're not so he's actually created a way that we can be in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, there's a similarity perhaps with Islam that there is a sense of judgment, but mm. this is a solution yep. you're suggesting. Yeah. yeah. Nadia, do you want to add anything to that? Or from your experience, what you observed? In Islam, is all about what you do. And you have to follow all those limitations and strict rules. And Allah is there just only to punish you. And that's why it's all, all verses in the Quran is all about the punishment and judgment. But in Christianity, God loves us even before we know him and before, and before we love him, he, he loved us first. And uh, he doesn't want to punish us. He's more than happy to save us. Hmm. That's why he sent Jesus. So it says there in verse 16 that we know and rely upon the love of God. So how do you rely upon the love of God? So I, I think relying on God enables, it's gonna, it might sound a little strange, but it enables me to love others um, better. So I, I've been shown uh, how to love this sort of self-sacrificial sense. Um, and because I've been given so much, I feel like I'm more capable of showing love to others. Empowers you and gives you strength to love others yeah. um, as well. Yeah. Now verse 17 there says that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because there is no fear in love. And this passage also talks about perfect love driving out fear. Mm-hmm. So Nadia, how is that true in your life? Yeah. Certainly in contrast to what you experienced in Islam. 
as I said, I was a faithful Muslim and I practiced a lot. Still, I lived my life with fear. But yeah, now because of God's love, there is no fear. And it's, uh, it's really funny. In, in Iran, even people, even adult people, they, they really fear of a funeral service. So even they don't dare to just pass by the cemetery because they all fear of death. Mm-hmm. And, but now I'm a cyclist. I cycle back home even at night along the cemetery through the bike path that goes along the cemetery. And every night that I pass and I just say, God, thank you. Thank you for this peace that I have in my heart now. Mm. Now, you're also a former Muslim from an Islamic country, and yet you don't mind being identified. Some people are concerned about being identified. Um, why is that? Is it to do with this lack of fear? Yeah, now that I, I know God, I believe in him, and I trust him, why should I fear? Why should I fear people? There mm. is no reason, not any more reason for fear. Mm. So what difference has understanding the freedom and love of God made in your lives? Maybe, Alan? I suppose a greater sense of joy um, and this sort of sense that this world is not the end. So this, this uh, hope um, that there's, there's a, kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Nadia, what difference does it make? This freedom and love of God, has it changed your life at all? Freedom, yes. Freedom of fear, freedom of all those judgments. And now I have hope in my life. I have joy and peace and love of God. Mm. Now, American poet and essayist Walt Whitman said, God is a mean-spirited, pugnacious bully bent on revenge against his children for failing to live up to his impossible standards. How do you react to Walt Whitman's assessment of God? Yeah, so I I would just question why would he send Christ? If he's kind of this cranky old man who just wants revenge, then why create a a way that we can actually be in relationship with him? Mm. Um, Why not just send us all to hell to start with? Mm. What about you, Nadia? Those uh, impossible standards and revenge is all about Islam. It is what is all about Islam, but not in Christianity, because Christianity is just a relationship with God based on love. Now, a question's come in for you, Nadia. Um, How did your family react to your conversion? They are happy. I I told them. I told them, and my mom, even she's very happy. She's exactly watching all, all those channels that I used to watch. <laughs> and so, yeah, they know. Mm. But my, I can't tell you, my dad, maybe he is not really happy. Mm. So Nadia and Alan, yeah. do you feel that you're good enough for God? Not as I am, but because of what, a, what Christ has done for me. Mm. So when God sees me, he sees what Christ has done. And he sees a yeah, person of Christ. So, mm. yeah. Nadia? Exactly, yeah. I, I can say, yeah, maybe, yes, I'm good enough, not, not because of who I am or what I've done. It's only because of what Christ has done for me. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, do you feel good enough? 1 John 4:16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Nadia Debezorgi and Alan Lucas.